Cotney Construction Law is dedicated to helping the construction industry in legal, risk, and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's Law & Mortar with John Kenny and Trent Cotney. Like welcome everybody to another episode of Law and Mortar. We got some great topics today. Uh, as always, I am Trent Cotney, CEO of Cotney Construction Law, and we've got John Kenny with Cotney Consulting Group here. And John, we have got some some really great topics. It's uh, I tell you what, the news has been on fire with a lot of different uh, legal and construction related issues. But you know, one of the things I want to get into is. Um, green roofing. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because, you know, we're, we're in Florida. Green roofing obviously isn't very big here. You know, most of that stuff would be blown off first wind we get. But um, up north, especially in uh, Canada, northeast, some other areas, uh, we're starting to really see green roofing take over some market share. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to repurpose roof systems to do a variety of different things. So why don't you talk a little bit about your experience with green roofing and maybe give the audience some you know do's and don'ts things to look out for well green roofing you're correct in a lot of other parts of the world canada and even europe it's taken off a lot more than in the united states but your bigger urban areas i could tell you denver's actually passed a ordinance to move to green roofing um for all the new and existing. Now they're starting to back off existing a little bit, but new construction's gotta have some sort of green involved in it. Reason being is that a lot of people are, are, to start with, a lot of people aren't sure really what green roofing is. All it simply is waterproofing system underneath, which can be modified roofing, single ply, depending on the manufacturer you wanna use. Usually it has to be a concrete deck. I have seen it done other ways. But concrete deck because of the weight. That's the biggest thing with green roofing is the weight, not of the, not of the roof system, but you're putting a lot of dirt up on top, which is what your base is for your plant materials. So the reason for green roofing is twofold. It helps on the heat island effect um, to do it. But now they're doing further studies. Uh, Europe's actually leading on this. In Canada, I've seen it too. But green roofing has an advantage of water control and flooded urban areas. So instead of popping all, if you have an area that's commonly flooding. The green roof naturally slows down the flow of water because it's got to sink into the soil and then out. So really the biggest do's and don'ts of it is, the biggest don't is don't try to do this on your own. Make sure there's a designer behind this because I won't get into the legalities. That's where you come in, Trent. But there is huge legalities for roof collapses, flooded out buildings. It's a huge, you know, big mess. A lot of times you're better off partnering with some sort of landscaping company that will do the actual plants. There are roofing manufacturers that do, you can buy the plants in plastic trays and you pop them in with the plugs, but you know, there again, if the plants die in a year, who's gonna be responsible? So I think that's the biggest problem why it's taken off. So if the weight's right, properly spec, you do a good waterproofing system underneath it, you've got a good, it's, it's got its place. Not, it's like any other roof, it's, it's got its place to be used, but not everywhere. Yeah, and John, to kind of echo off some of your, your statements there, you know, one of the things that I recommend from a legal standpoint is that if you're doing green roofing, you really want to make sure that you have a waterproofing consultant involved or on staff. And one of the biggest problems I've seen with roofing contractors that normally do residential or commercial, and then all of a sudden they decide they can roof a pool deck or roof a balcony or a green roof. Okay, the structures and the systems that uh, are needed in those areas uh, are often different and exceed what's required in a normal roofing system. 
So anytime that you have that kind of system, you definitely want to make sure that you've got a designer that knows what they're doing. And if not, get a, a waterproofing consultant to make sure that you are following the specs of whatever the system is. Sometimes that may be just working closely with the manufacturer, but having that third party that really knows what's going on gives you that added layer of protection to make sure that you're doing what, what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So, like you say too, in the plant material, that comes a big issue in this that you're putting the right mixture of dirt so you don't hold too much water and cause collapse. And also you're picking the right native plant because these plants that they're using in green roofing are, will grow to only a certain height and then grow in a larger. If you use the wrong plant, you don't want to be up there with some kind of weed whacker trying to trim them down when they overgrow them. So there's more to it than just throwing plants on a roof. Yeah, and, and look, I'm lucky if I can keep a cactus alive. So you definitely want, don't want to be assuming liability for whether or not these plants are going to live forever. It's the same as if you were doing a, a roadway improvement job where you were adding sod. You know, there's a limited time frame where you um, say that, okay, this material is going to be around, but otherwise you're not doing a lifetime guarantee kind of thing. Um, John, you know, I want to I want to switch gears a little bit. And uh, yesterday, some some guidance came out from the Department of Labor that was a little bit shocking. You know, I was kind of surprised to see um, the Department of Labor move forward on this proposed guidance. And for those of you that don't know what the guidance dealt with was the classification of employees versus independent contractors. This obviously affects our industry because a lot of you out there use subcontractors. Subcontractor labor uh, has become a dominant force here in roofing, uh, especially in the last five, 10 years. And I think a lot of the reason is, is that you just can't find skilled labor. So uh, one of the things that the Department of Labor is really looking at is whether or not you have properly classified a subcontractor as a subcontractor, or if they're just really your employees and you're not paying them correctly. And that has, you know, a significant amount of legal issues associated with it. You know, John, before we get into that, why don't you talk about your experience with, you know, contractors using subs and kind of some of the things that you've seen out there? Well, you're right. It's definitely a growing segment. I mean, we did some research with our uh, Toronto research up that we have up there to dig into the industry. And here in the United States, it came, comes out and we verified this with a few sources, about 75% of the contractors use sub labor, not, uh, you know, self-installed employees. But where that comes in is out of that 75%, how many of them are truly subcontractors as far as the classification that you're talking about, that seems to be the great unknown. Um, definitely subcontractor management's a little bit different than, uh, you know, self-performing with management with foreman. I think if you're a contractor that's using sub labor, you're more heavy on your administrative and your supervisional than you might be if you're doing self-performing because that's really, they don't call them foremen, but you're pretty much gonna assign somebody to oversee your subcontractors and you should from a liability standpoint because it's your name out there. Um, there's a lot of things that are different about it than self-performing, you, you know, as far as safety control, a lot of things are out of your hands, but. It is a huge growing segment, and I think it probably is huge. If, if it gets any huger, it's 100%. I mean, three-quarters of all contractors reporting that they don't have any direct pay field employees, that's a huge number in this industry. Management yeah. of the subs is the hardest in my experience. I was, you know, when, when I saw the stats coming out of our Toronto office, it matched what my experience had been, you know, just, just working with our customers. You know, I know it's a huge, huge segment. 
And, you know, one of the things that um, this guidance that caused me a little bit of concern is normally what the Department of Labor does is they engage what's known as the economic realities test. And what that means is they're looking to see how, independ how independent the subcontractor is from the prime roofing contractor. So this guy basically said, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at, you know, uh, the degree that the prime roofing contractor controls the means and methods of the sub's work. And we're going to look at whether or not that sub has the ability to gain, you know, profit or loss on that job. Are they, are they truly going to be impacted on the success of that job? Or are they just merely a feeder for uh, the prime roofing contractor? There's obviously other factors and guidance that you look at, but Look, if your sub is wearing your hard hats, wearing your safety vest, they only work for you, they've only worked for you for the last 10 years, they're not really your sub, they're your employee. And the issue there is that you're not taking out proper uh, payroll tax, uh, you're not paying correctly via W-2 as opposed to 1099, you're not properly storing I-9s, okay, because if they're in your employee, you got to have I-9s. And from an OSHA standpoint, you got issues there because they can take uh, the subcontractors bad acts and hold them against you as a controlling contractor. So big issue, you know, this is a big legal issue and I think it's something that's going to continue to dominate our industry. So John, I got to ask you, you know, I, I love your new uh, background there. Obviously you and I are both, um, you know, roofing history aficionados, uh, you more so than me, but um, talk to me a little bit about that, uh, that photo you got there. It looks like it's an old truck with with a family name on it. How does, yeah. what's that about? That was uh, one of my grandfather's trucks from the 1940s. Um, you know, so luckily we had the picture around. You can see it was kind of posed, not the whole truck was in there, but it was enough to get the name and everything. And, uh, you know, we added a little cottony consulting uh, emblem up on the top, kind of shows where, you know, third generation roofer, you know, with the lineage back through you know, basically the 20s all the way up to where we're at now. Um, I love love roofing history. I love our industry. And it's, you know, this is a perfect, you know, you get the phone number 0284, you know, 6, and then it went FO6, and then it went 366. But it's just amazing. You know, even the, the number on there, Route 6 Dover, New Jersey, that eventually came Route 46. So I know my grandfather, and this is all hand-painted, not like today where we have stickers. I remember my grandfather telling me stories that every time they either ch added a digit on a phone number, or they changed the number on the highway, you had to go redo all your vehicles. So it was a big deal back in those days. Yeah, and that's that's amazing stuff. I think a lot of people, you know, uh, a lot of uh, our customers and a lot of people out there in roofing are generational. You know, it's still, you know, predominantly a family-owned type business that's passed from generation to generation. And there's a lot of institutional knowledge there that's that's passed down from one generation to the next. So, you know, John, I'm, I'm, I, as you know, I'm, I'm, in addition to being my friend, I'm really glad to have you on here for your roofing knowledge. It's hard to find anybody that, that knows more than you do about roofing. So I appreciate uh, it. Happy to be here. Yeah, always a pleasure. So listen, you guys out there, if, if you like what we're talking about and you want to hear us talk about something in, in particular, let us know. You know, actually the green roofing topic, we had uh, three or how many was it? Three or four entries come in yep. saying that people wanted us to hear, talk us about talk about that subject. So if there's a specific topic you'd like us to talk about, hit us up. You know, my email is tcotney at cottonycl.com. And John, how can they get you? Uh, jkenny, J-K-E-N-N-E-Y at cottonycl.com. Okay. As always, we appreciate you guys and stay tuned for the next episode of Law & Mortar. Thanks. See you later. Thank you.